we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. Well, good morning. It's great to see you again. Um, It's great to be back a second time. I feel like I'm getting to know you, and that makes this a lot more enjoyable for me because I love getting to know folks. We are in the second week of the series called Tell the Town, and last week we started taking a look at what it means to share with others our faith in Jesus in the way that Jesus intended. And we're going to use three simple words. We started with the word last week, reach. And this week, as you saw on the screens, we're going to talk about share, and next week, repeat. And those words are simply just ways to help kind of anchor the things that we're learning together as we meet. Well, when we kicked off this series last week, we talked about the fact that in order to even have anything to share or to be able to share, we need to reach out and build relationships, authentic relationships with people. And when we reach out, it's going to take time that reaching out and building relationships happens one conversation at a time over time. And we talked about the fact that there are lots of things happening in our culture and in our world and in us socially that are, that's making it harder and harder to build close relationships with people. We also talked about the fact that when we reach out, um, sometimes we get involved in messy. Um, messy could be Um, Things that feel uncomfortable to us or scary. Messy can mean brokenness and hurt and tragedy and difficult circumstances. But we choose to walk into those circumstances as we say yes to share our faith. And when we reach out to people, it's going to require us to leave our front porch, both literally and figuratively. Literally, we need to step out of our yard and cross those boundary lines and get to know our neighbors, invite them over for a meal, go to their home for a cookout. Whatever's going on, make, make it easier on yourselves. Clear the calendar of all the stuff you don't need to do and make time to get to know people again. Um, We also need to remember that before we reach out, the most important thing is that we remember our own need for Jesus and that we start at that place when we think about sharing our faith. When we remember why we needed Jesus, why I need Jesus, and how encountering him has changed our lives, that's when we're ready to share our story. We also looked at this really important conversation, kind of this... um, anchoring conversation that Jesus had with his disciples at the end of his ministry. He commissioned them. He told them, now that we've lived life together, now that you've seen me and known me, now I want you to go and do what we've just done together. And they did. They were this small group of people, small And they were filled with doubts. Even at that point when he was commissioning them, some of them still were filled with doubt. They were unsure exactly of who he was, what he was. But the resurrection happened, and they changed, and they became bold, and they were willing to face rejection. 
They were willing to face persecution and hardship and prison and even death to share the story of Jesus. And I think we forget that there are people around the world still facing those kinds of circumstances when they share their faith. You know, the truth is we're kind of wimpy here. That's the truth. Um, Historians would say that the spread of Christianity through the world was one of the most incredible spiritual missions of all, all time, of all history, because of the rate at which it spread, um, how quickly, and the distance that it spread. Think about it. It started with a few men who were bold about their faith and empowered and encouraged and were brave because of the resurrection. And that same great commission is for us. There have literally been hundreds, probably thousands of books written about a word called evangelism or how do you share your faith. People have dissected it and put it back together a million different ways. But the reality is the story about Jesus in you, the story about Jesus in me is what people long to hear and to see. That's it. That's what matters the most, the story of how Jesus has changed your life and how his story has intersected with the story of your life. And that's why today we're going to start by talking with someone about their story. So would you help me welcome Keith to the stage and and make him feel comfortable and encourage him as he comes? Well, I sent a few questions to Pastor Brad. Do you feel more comfortable sitting or? I think based on this morning, I want to sit. Okay, I'll sit with you. Um, I sent Pastor Brad some questions um, for you to take a look at. Um, so this is not like cold. He, he's had a little time to prepare. So we're, yeah. don't worry. If, you're, if this is your first time here, we don't put people on the spot like this. Um, but Keith, I wonder if you'd tell us a little bit about... Um, your life before you really encountered Jesus personally. Yeah. So, um, as I explained this morning, and actually I'll, I'll add a little bit because I was a little nervous this morning and on the very first portion of this. Uh, so I was I was raised Catholic, and um, one thing I did share this morning as well is I, I've never not believed in God. I mean, I've it's never been a question, mm-hmm. and the um, the easy part about that was just you know, always knowing there was something, right? And um, I, I don't think, the part I didn't share this morning is, I don't know that I've done a really good job up until the point we're going to talk about a little bit about sharing that with my family and my kids. That's the part I, I left out. Um, reasons for it, um, you know, it, it's, I, I went through a divorce when I, was, when I was young and both of them had been born. And um, being in Catholic Church, it, it's not re- regiment's the word I keep coming to, but it's not the word I I, t- I really want to say. Mm-hmm. It's just there was something, as I mentioned, there was something that was it was missing. There was a connection for me that was missing, and um, you know, leading up until now, uh, I, I didn't know what that connection was or what what was missing. I just knew that it existed. Good. So. Um, last week, I, I told the story of two brothers and a dad, and a brother who 
wanted his inheritance and, and took it and left home. And there was a point where he came to his senses, where he realized that he needed his father in his father's house. And um, as we think about that, Keith, was there a point in your life when you came to a realization that you needed Jesus, when you kind of came to your spiritual senses? Yes. So we try to keep the waterfall from flowing from this morning. Um, I, I, I know there's some people in this room who know some of this backstory, um, but two and a half years ago or so, we had a death in our, in our home. Um, you know, I'm Shannon's stepfather, and uh, her boyfriend uh, passed away at our house. This never gets easy. <laughs> so Cassidy, who a lot of you know, um, was born on a Wednesday, and Glenn was dead three days later on a Saturday. Um, it was a it was an incredibly difficult day. For all of us, it's not fun when you have um, half of the Joliet Police Department and Fire Department and every state agency in your home trying to figure out what just happened to a 20-something-year-old man. Mm -hmm. um, it's a day that Brad and I met, and a uh, friendship was formed that day that I very much cherish. As I mentioned, we, uh, we got a chance to talk a little bit. There was a lot going on. Um, I, hadn't met, I hadn't met Glenn's family until that day. And uh, to be in that situation with your stepdaughter, very emotionally distraught, as you would imagine, um, being questioned by a lot of people in your home, you know, about the event, and, and then trying to balance his family in your home and trying to keep them not stable. And, and, and I want to point out, and I'm going to say this again in a little bit, this day wasn't about me at all. Um, it just wasn't. It was about Glenn and the situation and Shannon and everything else was going on, and it was really difficult to deal with. It's still um, obviously tough for me. Mm -hmm. So there came a time when everybody left, his family went off to start doing what they needed to do to plan for the service um, that I kind of realized I was in trouble. That's the best way I could put it. Mm -hmm. I needed some emotional downtime. Just It was, I don't know, four or five hours. I mean, I don't remember what the time frame was, but it was early afternoon, and I, I told my wife, I said, I got to go. Mm -hmm. I got to, I'll be back. I'm not leaving. Mm -hmm. I just, I got to go. Yeah. So I went to my best friend's house, and... Um, I wasn't there 10 minutes. If I remember correctly, you got a tough phone call, right? Yeah. So I got a really tough phone call. Yeah. So my son calls, and uh, his wife left. Had left him, took the kids. And uh, it was. Um, 
I don't know. I, the best way to put it is I just got mad. I got mad really quick because I didn't, that first off, the depression time that I was trying to create was gone. I mean, I went right back into survival mode, and I told Ray, I said, I got to go. I, my kid's in trouble. So I jumped in my car. Even the McHenry, which, given my state of mind, was probably not the smartest thing I ever did, was driving at that moment, given my emotions. But I was mad, and um, I was screaming at the car. And I kept saying, uh, this is what you got? This is the best you got? <laughs> you might as well just give it to me all right now, because this morning was okay. This is going on. What else? Let's just do this right now. Mm -hmm. I'm done. And you want to... Let's just, you know, I was, I used the word pissed this morning, I'm going to use it again, I was pissed, you know, and um, then I called my cousin in Colorado, and uh, Dean and I are really close, and he's a good source of comfort for me to talk through things, and I, um, I told him what was going on, and, you know, I'm literally driving probably 80 miles an hour as I'm doing this, by the way, and uh, he said something really profound to me, and it, it Probably that moment changed and defined why I'm here talking to you right now. Mm -hmm. And he said, uh, did you ever think that maybe you were supposed to be there for these situations? And again, this wasn't about me. Please understand that I never looked at that day as about me. It was about everything that was going on with people around me. And um, that hit me good. It, it settled me down a little bit. And... Uh, you know, after that, I, I kind of, you know, Brandon and I've had one-on-ones, you know, on a monthly basis, and um, I, I'm part of the group, and I got to tell you, if you're not part of the group, you should be if you're, if you're looking for ways to understand all this, and, uh, you know, I, ever since then, I just, I never stopped looking since then, and I'm still doing it now. I love that. I love that, and um in all of our stories, there are these pivotal circumstances when we're forced to look at what we think we've always believed about God in a moment in time when we have to say, I believe you are who you say you are. And that was a turning point for you as you began to seek who God was for you personally, yeah. right? Yeah. So thank you so much, Keith. Thank you. Let's encourage him. Well, this morning, we're going to be taking a look at how Jesus changed the life of a man named Saul, who later became called Paul. I guess when you um, have a life change, you change your name too, right? Makes sense to me. Um, it's found in the book of Acts, so if you have your Bibles or the Bible app on your phone, you can begin to look for Acts 22. We'll also have a lot of those passages of scripture up on the screen if you want to follow along that way. Um, I love the book of Acts. It was a book written by a man named Luke, and Luke was um, probably a traveling companion of Paul's. Um, but Luke didn't write this book as a travel journal or just for kicks to write down his thoughts and feelings. He was actually commissioned by a Roman official to record, this guy's name was Theophilus, to record all of the happenings surrounding Jesus and his followers to prove if they were or weren't true. And I think we have to remember that oral testimony and written testimony 
were much more believable in that day. They weren't talking or thinking about fake news or gossip. They relied on those sources as their primary source of information. So your word mattered a whole lot. And I love that Luke includes a ton of detail. Um, some experts say that Luke may have been writing this book as part of a legal defense. So he includes a lot of detail. Um, so you can think of Luke as one of those reporters that's kind of on the front line in the battlefield, reporting what he's seeing and experiencing um, with the troops. Or that weatherman who has to be in the middle of the million hour, million mile an hour winds, you know, kind of blowing away in the middle of the hurricane as he reports about it. Well, that's where we begin here in Acts 22. And Luke is recording this incredible scene that's unfolding in Paul's life. And before we get into those details, I just want to um, review a little bit about Paul's life up to this point. Paul, um, before he encountered Jesus, believed Christians were like a disease really. He genuinely believed that this movement of Christianity or the people of the way, as they called themselves, needed to be stopped at all costs because they were like a disease that was infecting and hurting his faith, his family, and his nation, the nation of Israel, the Jewish nation. And remember, at that point in time, there was no separation. All of it was one, family, your faith, the state or the nation, they were all one thing. And Paul was doing everything in his power as a devout follower of God to stop the spread of Christianity. But Paul encounters Jesus, and his life is transformed in that moment. And he walks away from his old way of doing things and looking at things and gives his new life to telling others about what he experienced with Jesus and the hope that he's found in him. And as he begins to travel from town to town telling his story, people aren't very thrilled to see him enter town because the reality is everywhere Paul goes, there are riots and disturbances because religious tensions are incredibly high. And so when Paul arrives in Jerusalem, his opponents have been waiting for him and they drag him into the temple courts and they're ready to stone him. And there are about 200 Roman soldiers who've been mobilized to keep the peace, to kind of make sure there are no big disturbances. And so to keep that from happening, they pick Paul up and they begin to carry him up this steep flight of stairs into the citadel, which is the highest point in the city. But as they're carrying him, he taps them on the shoulder and he says, um, excuse me, uh, would you mind if I just turned for a moment and address the crowd? Now those guys had to be thinking, all right, whatever, buddy, but, you know, whatever happens from here is kind of in your hands. I think they probably thought he was a little bit crazy, and that's where we're going to start with Acts 22. And as Luke records, um, Paul begins to address the crowd, and he says in family words, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. And when they heard him speak to them, he was speaking in the language of Aramaic, and they grew very quiet. And they grew quiet because Aramaic was the home language. It was the familiar language. It was the historic language of the Jews. And by speaking it, they would have immediately recognized that Paul was one of them. They would have recognized that they shared a common history and a common community and culture. And they would have also known he was showing respect for them. 
And the truth is, as we begin to talk about sharing what Jesus has done for us, one of the most important keys is to use words that demonstrate respect for and a knowledge of the person with whom you're speaking. And when we speak, it's really important that we use words that are easily understood by that listener rather than words that are showy or religious, words that we might have grown up with or heard in our education if we went to a Christian school. We, in the church where I serve each week, um, in our elementary ministry, we have a, an elementary pastor named Dustin Hogan. And each week as he looks at the things we're going to teach our kids, he and I will often talk about how do we communicate this story of Jesus to kids um, and, and apply it and build bridges to their everyday lives. How do we think about this story as it relates to them in their relationship with their parents? when they're in trouble, when they're fighting with a sibling, when they're feeling like a failure at school, when they've taken a test and didn't do well. How can we think about how the story of Jesus connects to their everyday lives? And we also think about our toughest audience in that room on a Sunday morning when we have kindergartners through fourth graders. Who do you think our toughest audience is in that room? You'd think kindergartners, but in reality... A lot of people would think that it's our oldest boys, not because they're bad, but because they're starting to feel too old to be in that group. And they're starting to feel like grown-ups. And the changes in their bodies are causing them to have these spurts of energy that really require them to move around as they're learning. And because they're practicing their sense of humor and they like to make people laugh, we have to think about how the story of Jesus intersects with their lives, with the insecurities they feel, with the desire to have fun and, and be funny and use their hands and their bodies as they learn. And so each week we talk about that group as we think about what we're going to teach. And the truth is the whole group benefits when we start to have the mindset of who is our audience really? Who are we trying to reach? What is the need in their life? And what do we need to say to build bridges of authentic relationship to them as we share? We need to speak in ways that are meaningful to our listener and focus on the aspects of our story that build bridges of connection. And Paul continues to do that as we look at verse 3. He says to the crowd, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. And I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. He continues to connect with them. Um, and I know some of these uh, ideas are hard to comprehend because our world is so different now, but think about what life was like then. He talks about being a Jew born in Tarsus, a Roman citizen, but also living in Jerusalem. And he's basically saying, I know how to find the best kosher grocery store. I know how to get to the synagogue by all the back roads because I'm one of you. But then, without pride involved, he kicks it up a notch and he begins to talk about his prestigious education, how educated he is. 
his audience would have known that being a student of that guy named Gamaliel was really a high honor and that he was on a fast track, on a direct path to becoming a very high-ranking official in the Jewish court system. But Paul wasn't making a power play. He wasn't trying to prove he was more knowledgeable than anyone in that crowd. And he wasn't trying to be arrogant. He simply was identifying with their spiritual passion. He was identifying the fact that they were a mob and they were angry that day at him because they were so passionate for their religious faith and for their nation and for their families. And they didn't want Christianity to disrupt any of that. So he said, I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. Wow. And that passion you're feeling, I get it. That passion that's expressing itself even to the point of anger. And he goes on to explain that his passion brought him all the way to beating and murdering Christians. He says, go ask. Go ask all the people that you trust, the, the officials. They'll tell you what I've done. And they'll even show you the paperwork that I was going to take to Damascus to bring back more Christians to punish. That's ugly stuff. Anger taking you to the point of murder. That's the kind of stuff you wouldn't include on a resume, especially a Christian or spiritual resume. But Paul is being authentic, and he's identifying. He's honest about the parts of his story that he's not proud of. And when we begin to share our story of faith, it's easy to hide those parts of our story in the closet. Maybe it was what we did in college or how we behaved in high school. Maybe it was self-righteousness, like this group of people. Bitterness, dishonesty, an affair, an addiction that nearly ruined your life, a broken situation in your family. Those are the things we tend to want to shove in the closet. They're hard for us to talk about. We want to look more presentable, like we have it all together. But we need to remember that that's the place where Jesus met us. That's where Jesus met me at my greatest point of need. That's where Jesus met you. So when we share our story of faith, being honest about the things we're not proud of, the things that are broken, the things that are tough for us to talk about, those are the things that help people see that Jesus can intersect with their lives as well. And then Paul goes on and talks about his point of turning, his moment of decision. In verse 6, about noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. My companions saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice that was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that you've been assigned to do. And my companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. I think it's fair to say that as we share our faith, all of us wish we had a big story, a story that was dramatic and pivotal and um, very compelling, uh, like this one. Maybe not the going blind part, but maybe hearing an audible voice or something that people witnessed. And some do have pretty big dramatic stories, but most, when they share their story of faith, are going to talk about these conversations that happened, these questions that were asked. Um, and they were done in the context of a group or in a special relationship. 
But what's most important is not how it happened, but that it happened and that you are able to talk about the moment when you made a decision for Jesus. Know your Jesus moment. Now, it gets tough for some of us, honestly, because we confuse our Jesus moment with things like, I grew up in a Christian home, and I always did Christian things, and it was sort of my learned way of life, and we've equated that to being a follower of Jesus. Or maybe you went to a Christian school, and you learned a lot of facts about Jesus, maybe even some theology. Or maybe you've always believed in God, like Keith talked about, and you just feel like you and God are good because you believe in him and because you're a whole lot better than most of the people you know. But none of those equal a decision to truly follow Jesus. Each person must decide for themselves what they will do with the claims of Jesus. And Jesus pushed his disciples all the time on that question. As he walked with them and talked with them and as they traveled town to town, he'd hear the conversations. He'd hear the things the crowds were saying as they passed by. And he would hear his disciples begin to process. Well, they think he's this prophet that's come back to life. And there was all this speculation surrounding Jesus. And one day Jesus kind of interrupts their banter, their their discussions, and he says, who are people saying that I am? And it was easy for them to, to make a list. You know, they think this, they think this, they think this, and they're having this, this big philosophical conversation with Jesus. And he stops them and he says, well, who do you say that I am? And each of us has to come to a point of decision about what to do personally with who Jesus claims to be. Um, I'm going to sh- share a story with you. It's from Kara Powell. Kara is the executive director of Fuller Youth Institute. She teaches people how to be youth pastors. She writes articles. She's very influential in um, the youth ministry world. But I love how Kara so authentically shares that she too is a follower of Jesus who is compelled to share her faith. Listen to her story about an airplane conversation. You never know when you're gonna have a chance to share all the amazing things that God has done in your life. I learned that myself firsthand because a number of years ago, I was on my way over to Europe on a short-term missions trip where I was gonna go share about Jesus with some friends of mine. But God surprised me on my way there. I got on an airplane and, and sat next to my boyfriend at the time who became my husband. And on the other side of us, there was an empty seat. And pretty soon this 11-year-old girl who was traveling by herself because she was on her way to meet her dad sat next to me. And she and I got to talking and, and it turned out that Natasha had brought a book with her. And it was her favorite book ever. It was a book of all sorts of riddles. So throughout the plane ride, she kept asking me riddles. And I would try to guess the answers. And most of the time I got it wrong, which Natasha thought was hilarious. And so as Natasha and I started to get to know each other, I thought, you know, I'm going to take this conversation deeper. So I said, Natasha, you've been sharing with me your favorite book. Can I share with you my favorite book? And she said, yeah, sure. So I leaned forward in my carry-on bag and I got out my Bible. And I said, Natasha, this is my favorite book. And Natasha, you've been asking me questions this whole way, all these riddles. Can I show you a question in this book? And she said, yeah. So I turned to the passage in the gospel where Jesus says to his disciples, who do you say I am? And I turned to Natasha and I said, Natasha, who do you say I am? That question of Jesus is the most important question that you and I will ever answer. Can I tell you how I've answered that question? And she said, yeah, sure, go ahead. 
So I told her that, that since I was a little girl, I've decided to follow Jesus, to make Jesus my savior from my sins, and then to have him be my Lord every day, that by his grace, I'm trying to obey him and live out faith in him every day. And after I explained it for a while, she and I talked and she asked me a few questions and then I felt like the timing was right. So I said, Natasha, would you like to make that decision also? Would you like to answer Jesus' question, who do you say I am, by saying, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior? And she said, yes, I would. So at 32,000 feet in the air, I got to pray with Natasha and she decided to follow Jesus. Now here I was on my way over to Europe where I thought I was going to share my faith. And I ended up having this amazing opportunity that God created before I even got there. You never know the chances you're going to have to share your story. Sometimes it'll be at 32,000 feet and other times it'll be at sea level. The question for all of us is, are we ready? Kara makes it so simple. And as she told her story of faith to that young girl, she described Um, Her response being wanting to live her life every day for Jesus. And Paul did the same thing. He asked Jesus, now what shall I do, Lord? What shall I do with my life now? And Paul had this new sense that he needed to turn in a different direction. And he was compelled to live life differently than he had before. And to live life on mission with Jesus. And it wasn't an obligation. It wasn't something um, that he felt compelled to do out of a sense of, of, of ought or religion. He simply wanted to live a life of obedience, and it became like a great big thank you note to God each day. But here's what I love about that moment in Paul's life. It wasn't private. It wasn't just between Paul and Jesus. God involved other people in his story. Listen, verse 12, a man named Ananias came to see me. Paul's continuing to address this mob. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. And he stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. And then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth referring to Jesus. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. I love this because Ananias had to say yes. He was commissioned, asked by God to walk with Paul as Paul sorted out what it meant for him to be a Jesus follower. Remember who Paul was. Do you understand what a crazy mess Ananias said yes to? for him to be part of this whole thing. Because Ananias was a follower of Jesus, a Jew who had decided Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. And he was literally hiding from Paul and his men. Yet God impressed on him to go and talk to Paul, to leave his front porch, if you will, and reach out to Paul. And he said yes. I wonder who was part of your story, a friend, a coworker, every year, On Father's Day, my dad gets a phone call. Fred Garber calls my dad to wish him a happy Father's Day. Fred was a physics professor at The Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. And he came to church with his wife, not because he wanted to, but because he loved his wife. And they would bring their daughters. And my dad would spend time with Fred. He got to know him. And he began to listen to Fred's doubts. 
He began to listen to Fred's questions about science and faith. We got to know their kids. We even took a vacation together, our families did. They were very involved in my wedding with my husband, um, Phil. Janine did the flowers. Fred was like the comedy act who kept everyone laughing the whole time. He was so eccentric and so passionate. And one day, my dad, when he was spending time with Fred, asked him, Fred, what are you going to do with Jesus? And Fred made a decision to respond to faith in Jesus and claim him as his Lord and Savior. And at some point in his journey as a believer, he decided to begin remembering yearly that decision by calling my dad on Father's Day and thanking him for the part he played in his decision to follow Jesus. My dad lives at the DuPage County Care Center now. He has Parkinson's disease, and um, unfortunately, it's affected his brain. He um, has hallucinations and believes things that are really scary that aren't true. Um, but June, I was sitting there with my dad on Father's Day when my mom's phone rang. My mom put the phone up to his ear, and I could hear Fred's voice. Clyde, it's Fred. I just called to wish you happy Father's Day. I want to thank you for sharing Jesus with me. You know, God doesn't have to include us. He doesn't have to include other people, but he does. He asks us to say yes, and it's so beautiful when we join him in his work. So as you share your faith with others, remember who walked with you, who shared with you, and include them in your story so that others will know they don't have to walk alone in this Jesus way. So what's Paul going to do with his brand new life? Well, he says in Acts 22, verse 17, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I had a dream and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave immediately because the people here are not going to accept your testimony. Lord, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And then the Lord said to me, go, I'm going to send you far away to the Gentiles. You see, Paul knew the Jewish people, but God knew he could uniquely use Paul's life experience, his temperament, his personality, his zeal, his passion to reach a people who had not yet been reached. Because God uses our unique gifts in unique ways to reach people that only we can uniquely reach. And as you share your story, include how God is using who you are, where he's placed you to join him on mission. And no matter your profession or your difficult circumstances or your tough family life, as we offer all of those parts of our lives to be used for his purposes, God uses that story in the lives of other people. And as we share, people can begin to see that God can use their story too. Well, you'd think that after that kind of a speech, there maybe would be a positive response. Maybe the crowd wouldn't be so angry, but that wasn't the case in this situation. They decided that the earth needed to be rid of Paul. They didn't like that he was gonna be sent to the Gentile people. And the truth is people won't always respond positively or it won't be so cut and dry as Kara Powell's conversation on a plane or so quick. But there will also be times when God brings us into a person's life 
when they're at a point where they're ready to say yes. And we are in that relationship no matter how they respond because God has put us there and he's already been at work and that person matters to God, period. None of that changes. It's our job to faithfully join God in the work he's already doing in the hearts and lives of people. And we need to pray and wait expectantly and hope and say yes when he prompts us to ask people, so what are you gonna do with Jesus? You see, we share, but it's Jesus who saves. And as we're finishing up today, I want you to take the card that you received as you were walking in. And I want you to think about some questions this morning. And I'm gonna give you some time to do that, but I also want you to continue thinking about those questions this week. Talk about them with your kids, with your spouse, journal, write your answers. But let me ask you this story or this question. What's your story? First of all, maybe you've never truly answered the question that Jesus put before his disciples. Who do you think I am? Who do you say I am? And if you haven't, maybe today is the day when you say in faith, you are my Lord. You are the son of the living God. And maybe you have answered that question. Are you able to think about who you were before you met Jesus? And when did your life story intersect with God's bigger story? Who walked with you? Who talked with you? Who journeyed with you? Who helped you process your questions? And then who needs to hear your story? So let's be just quiet in this moment. And I want you to take a moment to think through and maybe even write down some answers to those questions. Pastor Brad's going to come in a moment. I'm going to pray with us, but he's going to give us the opportunity to share a special meal together, a meal that Jesus shared with his disciples, and he said, whenever you do this, remember me. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for the moment when I realized my need for you, my deep need. I thank you that you met me in that moment in a place that I wasn't too proud of. And I thank you for the people, the many people who walked with me and talked with me. I thank you that you met me in some of my deepest doubts and some of my biggest questions and my fears. And I thank you, Lord, that you've taken my life, my unique life and my experiences in the past and and the way you've wired me to to help me live out your purposes in my life. And God, I pray that you will give everyone in this room a picture 
of how their story is part of your big story. God, will you help us in these moments to remember that moment and to remember who walked with us and to remember you as we share this special meal together. Mm -hmm.